Life is back on, sports bettors, and BetUS has your NBA, NHL, NBA, UFC, PGA, and yes, NFL betting lines up for their 27th year and live betting on all of it. Log in to BETUS.com or call 800-792-3887. That's 800-79-BETUS. BETUS for 125% bonuses with the promo code the Zone 125 You bet, you win, you get paid. BetUS.com. Let's get into some of these awards here, guys, because the Brewers, even though the Brewers are the third best team currently in the National League, not a ton of love when it comes to a lot of these awards, especially when you look around the league. And you guys want to just start with the National League MVP? Sure. Yeah, that's the big one, right? Fernando Tatis. The clear favorite here. I which I would argue with. I think Bryce Harper has a massive case to be that guy. Do you know where Bryce Harper falls on this list? He should be second. He is fifth. That is that is preposterous. When is this list from? <laughs> this is current up to date. That is so list. so stupid. They're 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 sliding him because Joe Girardi's an idiot. Do do you want to know who's ahead of him? Uh, do I? Fernando Tatis Jr. Freddie Freeman, Max Muncie, Joey Votto. Wow. I mean, I can't really argue with that because they're all they're all having remarkably good seasons. But I mean, Joey Votto and Freddie Freeman, they have just been on fire since like the month of July. Yeah. They, they've had about two full months now of just tearing the cover off of the baseball. Rowdy, you were you were starting to get into the awards and the MVP race. Where do the Brewers, where's the highest the Brewers stand? Can I guess? If we're talking MVP, yes. Have at it. <laughs> how how deep do the rankings go? Well, I mean, technically they have a ton of names up here on the on the board. All right. I think I mean I think Corbin Burns is in the top 15. No pitchers. I think Willie Adamas is in the top 20. Let's just say that the only two Milwaukee Brewers now that come up on this current list are Christian Yelich and Willie Adamas. Christian Yelich? And Christian Yelich and Willie Adamas. <laughs> He's cur- back, though. Currently have the like same odds. What? Right now. They have the same odds? Yes. I mean, I guess they're projecting Christian Yelich to go five for five yeah, just with to- four bombs. Just Josh Hamilton every single game going forward. But... <laughs> I wow. think it's it's literally just the name power here. Yeah. Because Willie Adamas obviously is the only Milwaukee Brewers player that should have any well, type of business being in any type of Willie Adamas, race. since he came over in mid-May, he's hitting nearly 300, OPS 930. His OPS plus, now this is a number where if you're at 100, you are average. The further you go up, the better you are. Best OPS plus on the team, it's 146. By the way, the Christian Yelich and uh, Willie Adamas, they're both tied for 20th. Nick Castellanos has better odds. Well, I mean, Willie Adamas... <laughs> Gotta be careful with that name. <laughs> with, Willie Adamas was in the top eight. He was in the top eight a week ago. Yeah. The reason why I think he's fallen off a little bit here is he did go a little bit cold over the last week or so, and obviously the injury being out probably didn't help his causes, especially when it is a quad injury. We've seen quad injuries where the guy is good to go in a day. We've seen quad injuries where the guy ends up being out for eight weeks. Yeah. So yep. I think it's probably the odds have been adjusted just for the injury as of right now. But yes, 
Willie Adamas and Christian Yelich currently tied for 20th in the MVP race. Jackie Bradley Jr. Listen to this. His OPS plus. Again, 100 is an average player. It's 45. For, like, like that means Willie Adamas is the and same amount better than an average player. Million next year. <laughs> Talking about someone who gets paid to be bad. <laughs> Willie Adamas is that much better than an average player as Jackie Bradley is worse right now. Did you now. know that um, <laughs> roughly Willie Adamas makes about 12 times less money than Jackie Bradley Jr.? Alarming. Awesome. And, and he's under control a little longer. He is. That's baseball for you. So there's the MVP. We'll get into Cy Young because there's an argument for Corbin Burns and Brandon Woodruff to be the front runner and to be the number one. I would argue, I would borderline argue for Woodruff, but we'll get to that next as well as the manager of the year because it, it, it's a two-headed race, and boy, it is a one-sided poll up on my Twitter. I am a little surprised that out of all of the Milwaukee Brewer players, you have Willie Adamas and Christian Yelich tied for 20th. The only other players on here, there's no Brandon Woodruff. There's no Freddie Peralta. Which is dumb. And way, way at the bottom here, you have Avisel Garcia and Corbin Burns. Yep. You know what? I uh, I mean, I, I, I am. I think it's honestly crazy to everybody out there. Christian oh, Yelich, the fact the that tap. Christian Yelich is higher on an MVP race than Avisel Garcia is it's a crazy. slap in the face to Avisel Garcia and criminal. The Brewers actually have a shot at winning the Cy Young. They have three shots at winning the Cy Young. Mm-hmm. You obviously have Corbin Burns, you have Brandon Woodruff, and you have Freddie Peralta. And currently. If you look at the betting odds in Vegas, Corbin Burns, second place, Brandon Woodruff, fourth place, and Freddie Peralta, seventh place. Also, if you scroll down a little bit farther, Josh Hader also getting some love as he's in the top 12. All right, so who's who's number one right Odds now? on favorite right now is Walker. Dodgers starting pitcher yeah, Walker, Walker Bueller. Bueller. I'll just round out the top top six. Zach player. Wheeler's dead. He's number three. Though, Walker right Bueller now. one, Corbin Burns two. Zach Wheeler, three, Woodruff, four, Gossman, five, Max Scherzer, six, Freddie Peralta, seven. Okay. That's your top seven. So, And somehow Jacob deGrom is still eighth. Yes. Even though he's Crazy not going to qualify. So I, I agree with Burns being ahead of Woodruff, but it's a lot closer than some of the initial numbers might say. Well, I mean, yeah, based on just the money line odds on – Bet US, I mean, it's plus 225 for Burns, plus 1200 for Woodruff. Wow. Yeah. Well, that's, oh, that's extreme. Yeah. No, I didn't realize it was that. Your, your top ones, Walker Beeler's minus 135, uh, Burns plus 225, Wheeler plus 400, next closest, Brandon Woodruff at plus 1200. So, like, so listen to these stats. Now, we know. Th- I'm not going to make the case that Woodruff should have a higher ranking than Burns, but it's close. Woodruff is seven and seven wins and losses as a starting pitcher is the worst way to evaluate them. Finally, we got over the hump of all this stupidity throughout time of just giving guys Cy Young's because they get 20 wins. Finally, DeGrom wins when he has like a losing (laughs) record because his ERA is under two. I remember this (laughs) a long time ago where there was a huge debate. Ooh, this was probably around 2010-ish, if I remember correctly, where there was a couple pitchers that had a ton of wins, and then there was Zach Grinky, who at the time, Zach Grinky was pitching for the lowly Royals. 
but Zach Grinke was having just a hell of a year where he had like nothing for an ERA and like nothing for a whip. And yet all of a sudden it was a debate who is going to win the Cy Young. And here's that year. It was 2009. Zach Grinke went 16 and eight and had an ERA of 2.16, but there were other starting pitchers that had much more wins than him. Yeah. So that was a, a high year for pitcher wins. And they were even debating whether or not Grinky should win the award or whether they should give it to someone that had 20-plus wins. Obviously, Grinky went on to win it. He was clearly the better pitcher. I mean, he's pitching for the Royals. Yeah, I read a book on that. But it, Woodruff versus Burns. So Woodruff 7-7, seven and seven, Burns is 8-4, and four, which is still the fact that the Brewers have lost 11 of those games is kind of surprising. <laughs> Woodruff sits at, at a 2.48 ERA. Corbin Burns 2.3. You, the, Burns has obviously been a little bit better. But when you look through the numbers, their whip nearly identical. Woodruff has actually pitched more innings, which I give which I give a lot of value to. He has 12 more innings pitched this year. Well, he, Corbin Burns missed a couple starts with when he uh, tested positive for COVID. Truth. Burns is obviously he, he walks absolutely nobody so all of his strikeout to walk and walks per nine are are astronomically low but the strikeouts per nine Woodruff 10.3 Burns 12.2 the ERA plus which is a, another way to evaluate pitchers it adjusts everything to the ballparks which is a way to maybe negate the effects of some hitters parks and some pitchers parks Woodruff sits at 170 which unbelievably good Burns at at 183 I mean, Burns has no doubt been the better pitcher, yet it's the the gap isn't as great as uh, what is that ten dollars of of value? Yeah. Now the one number that makes you a little bit concerned about Woodruff and excited about Burns is FIP. It's fielding independent pitching. It pretty much takes out of it takes luck out of the equation where you could have a team hit 15 hard-hit balls right at your fielders, and they're all outs. So it looks like you're ERA zero, but you're actually getting hit hard. Woodruff's is at 2.9, which means that his over time, his ERA will, in theory, go up towards that number. Yeah, he's basically what you're saying is his FIP is much higher than what his current ERA is, which means he's, quote-unquote, getting a little luckier with what his actual number is. Corbin Burns, on the other hand... 1.65 FIP. His ERA is 2.3, which means if if anything, he's being un, he is an unlucky 2.3 ERA. Well, and I think you can actually, if you watch, you watch the two. Obviously, they have even throw Freddie Peralta in there. They all three have great numbers. They all three deserve to be in the discussion for Cy Young. But we've seen where Corbin Burns has innings that fall apart. Mm-hmm. It's like okay, he finally walks somebody. And then there was like a blooper into left field where a guy barely made contact with it. And then there's like a swinging bunt. Well, and it, then one guy comes up and gets a double, and all of a sudden they got three runs. Yeah, it's like the the Brewers' eighth yesterday where, uh, what, they had uh, two walks and two hits that didn't make it out of the infield yeah. to score two like runs. Corbin Burns has had a ton of bad innings like that where anything that could go wrong mm-hmm. goes wrong in his favor. But on the other hand, when you look at Brandon Woodruff, he, like we said, he's been phenomenal, but then all of a sudden he'll walk a batter and then he'll give up a couple hits and then he'll he'll like hang a curveball or throw one ninety eight right down the chute yep. and it gets taken out of the park. Yeah. He's been hit harder when he's been 
giving up runs because most of the time it's harder hit balls because he's leaving the ball up. Corbin Burns, we've talked about how he's got five different pitches that all coming out of his hand and almost, you know, fully to the plate look the same until the very last second. And you can kind of tell. The real question is, where is Brent Suter on the Cy Young Award list? He is not on there for a reason. (laughs) He is actually a vulture, not a raptor. (laughs) And I would be willing to bet if we looked up his FIP, it would be much well, worse than his current ERA. I I have it up right now. His <laughs> it is a lot worse. It's three point seven compared to a two point nine seven ERA. Exactly. Rowdy Walker Bueller, the betting odds leader to win Cy Young. He's thirteen and two. He's a two point oh two ERA. He's been masterful this year. His ERA plus is up at one ninety three, best in the MLB. But his FIP is at three point oh five, which means in theory. Some ground, let's say Corbin Burns goes back to that mean of we think his ERA will go down because that metric says it it should over a large sample size. Walker Buehler's could go up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and when you look at one of the big differences, obviously you play half of your games at home, right? We know that American Family Field is very hitter-friendly. Dodger Stadium isn't as hitter-friendly as what uh, American Family Field is. I mean... That could be a huge reason why his numbers have been a little deflated compared to what they should be. Now, Walker Buehler's having a great year, but when you when you talk about these Brewers starting pitchers, you got to talk about all we talked about in the first month of the season was Corbin Burns and his strikeout record. The longest to start a season without walking a batter, and it also was the longest to start a season uh, for strikeouts at any period of time during the year without walking a batter until... Garrett Cole came and passed it. But Corbin Burns has like two or three records that he set already this year. And Woody was kind of the guy that was being not talked about. He was a guy that was just quietly going about his business, kind of like how the guy and just player Brandon Woodruff is quietly doing his work. And all of a sudden showing up a couple months later after, uh, I guess you would say some of the excitement wore off a little bit with Corbin Burns. And all of a sudden we're talking about, Brandon Woodruff and holy crap, look at his numbers. They're right there with Brandon Woodruff. And I know Freddie Peralta is currently on the IL, but it looks like he's going to throw this week and they're expecting him back by next week. So it was only going to be about a two week stint. Nothing major there. Freddie Peralta still hanging in there because we're talking about a guy in Freddie Peralta that's got an insane, insane K per nine. And and he's now granted he's the third guy in that uh, three headed monster for the Brewers. But I wouldn't be surprised that if all three draw votes from across the league. And hopefully the Milwaukee Brewers sports writers don't vote for different players. Yes. Yeah, talk to each other. Yes. It's, it's, coordinate, it's not against the rules. Coordinate and say, hey, if we think Corbin Burns is the real uh, Cy Young Award, please all vote for him and not spread the, the wealth out or even vote for the Walker Buehlers of the world. <laughs> Because that's happened in the past. It has. But let's go to the phones here. 608-321-1670. Who do we got? Good morning, fellas. Morning. What's what's the name? Couldn't quite understand you. You're breaking up a little bit. We'll try again. Yeah, we'll have to try after again. After the break, we'll, we'll, we'll throw them on hold. But, yeah. I mean, so what do you guys think? Do you think that the Milwaukee Brewers are going to get a Cy Young winner here? Because, I mean, we still no. have. No. We still yeah. have about six weeks left of the season. All of these guys, if the Brewers continue to use a six-man rotation, will have about five or six starts left this year. Mm-hmm. 
Do we think that the Milwaukee Brewers can get a legit Cy Young Award winner? No. No. So we don't... I think they still have a shot. Well, they have a shot, but I don't think it's going to happen. I'm going to say that one finds a way. Just because we've seen that these numbers have... We've seen that these numbers from one good start to like a couple lesser starts from Zach Wheeler. Zach Wheeler was the odds-on favorite. Two weeks ago, yep. And his last three starts, he's now fallen to third. We've Joe seen Girardi's that this, just kept him in too long. I, I think honestly, if you're looking at these uh, current lines, the top four guys, anyone still has a shot, especially with five or six starts left. I think the top four definitely are still live. We got to talk about manager of the year because I think you can argue that since 2017, Craig Council has had a shot to win manager of the year almost every single year except for 2020. Yeah, it's yeah. A manager of the year is all about overachieving and and putting a team that you don't look at and consider it to be necessarily the best in a great spot to succeed. Dave Roberts, you could say, oh yeah, he's the manager of the year. They're, the Dodgers are amazing. It's like, yeah, their team has like 15 former MVPs on it. I could manage that team and succeed. And what, but, they're $300 million? I mean, their win total coming <laughs> into this season was 103 and a half. Yeah, they ain't hitting that. Yeah, that's preposterous. But yes, I, I I'm with you. However, this year, I still think the Manager of the Year award, which again is a regular season award and has nothing to do with how a team performs in the playoffs. Correct. I still think it goes to Gabe Kapler. The San Francisco Giants are the best team in baseball. They are 82 and 44. With a lineup, they have the old stars of Posey, Brandon Crawford, but what Gabe Kapler has done, making Kevin Gausman good after he was on the (laughs) Orioles forever, and yeah, yeah, whoever's on the Orioles normally sucks, but what he's been able to do with a roster that doesn't jump off the page as, oh my God, they're amazing, obviously traded for Chris Bryant, but still, what he's been able to do to have that team win and the way he he's one of those very active managers where he has he makes sure he has a big impact on the game. When he was in Philly, we hated him because he's a condescending ass. But I still think he's the manager of the year. <laughs> I I wouldn't have a problem with that because what they were picked third in their own division, and I mean they're in a great spot even to make the playoffs right now when they were projected to I think below five hundred record. So I mean. At some point, it's another one where, I mean, you're talking about the fundamental change in voting for the Cy Young. You have to look past. It's like why people are like, why has Urban Meyer never been coach of the year in college football? Well, when you get five-star recruits and all that, you should be able to win every game. And when you don't, you don't win coach of the year. It's like when when you would just overlook and swipe under the rug significant scandals. Uh, well, there's that too. Scumbag. <laughs> uh, but so yeah, it's pretty much the same thing. Like I think it should be uh, a two horse race kind of right now between Kapler and uh, Craig Council. I think you can throw a, th- a third horse in that race, but I, I want to go back to 2017. You look at what the Milwaukee Brewers did in 2017. It was a team that some people were saying was going to be the worst team potentially in the Brewers' history. Yeah. Uh, let's mind you that we did see the early 2000s. A lot of people did live through the 90s Brewers. There was a lot of bad, bad, bad baseball teams in there. Yeah, like 94 to 2007. 
That 2016 <laughs> team that some people said could be that bad won 86 games under Craig Council, and he didn't win manager of the year. They were one game away from going to the playoffs with a bunch of guys that were spare parts from other teams yeah, and, and young players, and then a has-been at the time in Ryan Braun. Like, Cheater. how he didn't win in 2017, I'm not exactly sure. Oh, that's when your guy uh, win uh, the Rule 5 pick. No, that was 2014. Uh, Wang Chong Wang. Oh, that was 14? He was 14. That was when they started out really hot and okay. then fell apart. Yeah. But yes, he should have he should have won it in 17, in my opinion. Then you go to 2018. He does he didn't win it. You had the Brewers come out of nowhere. That's when they made the Christian Yelich trade. That's when they made the Lorenzo Kane signing. They ended up trading for Mike Moustakis at the deadline. Moose. That's when the Brewers win the NL Central, they go down to Wrigley Field, and it, we were calling it at the time Miller Park South, and they win game 163 to win 96 games that year, have the best record in the NL, and win the division over the heavily favored Cubs. He still didn't win the award. It yeah. was Brian Snitaker for the Braves, who won 90 games, and it was like, oh, the Braves are back. They're finally good again since the 90s. And like... <laughs> He still didn't win the award. Then they went on to the NLCS where they were one game away from beating the Dodgers. So, yeah. Rowdy, this year. But it's not a postseason award. This year. And then, okay. The <laughs> How Brewers, do you see it? The Brewers were solid in 19. I don't think he really had a shot. 20, obviously, didn't have a shot. I think he's second this year. And the reason why, I think it's a three-horse race. I think it's got to be Gabe Kapler as the front runner. Craig Council's number two, and I think you do have to throw Brian Snitaker back in there at number three. And the reason why I'm throwing Snitaker (laughs) in there at three is because the Braves lost their MVP in in Acuna. I would give that to their GM for picking up guys who can hit. And exactly. They picked up some great players. They made some great moves, and they've really come on. That's why he's third. Craig Council's second, in my opinion. We look at what the Brewers have done. They had 82 as a win total, and I believe the win total ended up around 83 and a half. Mm-hmm. They're already at 78. 78 yeah. The Brewers are already at 78. They're on pace for 98 wins currently. Yeah. And obviously, we've we've seen how this team doesn't have their team's MVP and Christian Yelich playing up to that level the entire season. Right. Since since Giannis has bought the team, though, he has. We, we've seen a team that has had injury <laughs> after injury. Yelich was out for extended time. You had... Uh, Lorenzo Kane missed like the first two months. Wong has had two stints on the IL. Omar Narvaez has had two stints on the IL. Um, Corbin Burns missed two starts with COVID. Freddie Peralta is going to miss two starts. I mean, they've had a lot. Of, their bullpen, everyone in the bullpen, I think, had COVID or was at least close to it. Yep. They've had a lot of things where this team could have fallen off, and it hasn't, and it continues to find ways to win games. That's a huge plus. I, the only reason why... I give Gabe Kapler the edge on Craig Council is because when you look at season win totals, this San Francisco team was 75 and a half. They did that and 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 cashed the over on their win total by August 15th. Crazy. August 15th. <laughs> and this was a team that they were in a division with the Dodgers. They were in the division with the Padres. Those were supposed to be two of the better teams in baseball. Those were actually supposed to be two of the best three teams in baseball at the beginning of the season. And not only are they competing with them, they're leading the division, and they're doing it with a bunch of guys that were has-beens. This is an old team. It's one of the oldest teams in Major League Baseball. It's a bunch of guys that have had 
as Mike McCarthy would say, stacked success like a decade ago. He <laughs> Gabe Kapler made Darren Ruff good again. Darren Ruff was a Philadelphia Philly, and he could not hit a pitch. They, their rotation is a bunch of guys that were cast off that would be guys that would be traded at the end of the deadline where you were hoping you could get something out of them. They had a bunch of threes, fours, and fives that have all become ones, twos, and threes. Yeah. Their bullpen has come out of no... Jake McGee was supposedly a, like about shot, and now he was in the top uh, of Major League Baseball for saves not too long ago. Like... There is everyone on this team is having like a revamp and like a turn back the clock type season. And I remember Ebo and I around the all-star break, we were talking about, you know, looking forward, going forward. Who do you think is going to fall off? Who do you think is going to really come on? I'm sorry, Ben, but unfortunately I said the Braves were going to come on and win the East. But one of the teams I thought was going to fall off was the Giants. Because why would they continue to have the sustained success? It when makes all these guys- no sense. Haven't done that in years, but they're doing it, and for that reason, I think I have to give Gabe Kapler the slight edge. And I, this is coming from a guy that says Craig Council should have won in seventeen and eighteen. Yeah, and <laughs> the Twitter poll up on my Twitter at Benzi Kenny should Craig Council right now be the NL Manager of the Year? Ninety percent still say yes. Yeah, I'm. I'm guessing that's going to come down a little bit, but like you said, it's a little bit of a bias. <laughs> yeah, I think we uh, we have a little bit of a school we're, we're dealing with. But yeah, I yeah, I'm I'm in on Kapler, but but still, Craig Council deserves all the credit in the world. It's just like when you have a team in the Brewers that's this good and has overperformed to this level, you expect there to be at least one award won by them because that's usually how you commemorate teams well, how about like this, this award. But they probably won't. I feel like no. the Milwaukee Brewers and all Milwaukee Brewers fans will not care one bit if they don't win Manners of the Year, Cy Young. Or MVP if they can win the World Series. Well, yeah. Executive of the Year, Giannis? I, I was about to say owner of the year could <laughs> could very well be him because I don't know if this team has lost since he took over. I don't know if Aaron Rodgers would like uh, that. I think Aaron Rodgers would get jealous that he didn't get Yeah, but Aaron Rodgers didn't go to any of the freaking playoff games. I, I, will, I will point this out. Ben Sheets is the one who started this trend by buying a piece of the Milwaukee Admirals back in the day. How are we feeling about this Packers team? I mean, they're making little moves here and there. Nothing too crazy yet. They still are at 80 for a roster. But we finally learned, I guess, one more piece to the wide receiver puzzle. The Green Bay Packers officially putting Devin Funches on the injured reserve. Which is rough. And to answer your question, I obviously feel great about this Packers team because there's a certain quarterback that returned for the year. I do have a a mild question about what it's all going to be like without a single starter playing a single snap before week one. I think there's bound to be rust and a little bit of discombobulation when they come back. When it comes to Funchess, it's it's not ideal because he did look good in that first preseason game and he could have ended up contributing to this team. But it's not the end of the world because it is an extremely deep wide receiver room that will uh, like they'll be super productive no matter what. Well, it was looking like there were seven guys that the Green Bay Packers could potentially want to keep. I mean, that's how deep the wide receiver room was. And obviously, everyone knew that they had locks. There were four guys that were for sure locks on the, the roster. And Devin Funches was falling in as one of those guys that was five, six, seven, somewhere on that list. It just made it a little bit easier putting him on injured reserve, making that decision now of who's going to make that final roster for the Green Bay Packers. But 
can you imagine being Devin Funches? You're coming off of a a year in 2018, which the Panthers felt like you underachieved and did not re-sign you, being the team that drafted you. You got a pretty good one-year deal from the Indianapolis Colts, and then after the first game, you break your collarbone. You then do not play in 2020 due to COVID, and now you are on the injured reserve and your season is done for 2021. Devin Funches hasn't played more than a game since 2018. That's incredible to me. Yeah. And like in one, I think it's crazy because we saw Devin Funches play in that first game. We saw him play in that first game against the Houston Texans. And now granted it was with Jordan love and Kurt Benkert, but I thought he looked pretty good. Like he made a couple good one handed uh, snags. He made a couple other plays. We know he doesn't play uh, special teams like some of the other receivers that were on the uh, chopping block, but I thought he actually looked really good. He, I, for being a guy that sat out one full season and pretty much was injured the year before, being a professional athlete coming back and doing that, I was actually pleasantly surprised with how well he actually looked in preseason. Yeah, I was I was mildly surprised, but you know that he has the physical gifts. It's about whether he's healthy and whether the quarterbacks can get him the ball. This was Funchess earlier during training camp on what motivates him to get in shape and return to football after opting out last year, and as you said, after the injuries, after not playing for a long time. My grandfather wants a Super Bowl, so whether it was this team or another team that I had to go to, I was going to put in the effort to go get that team a Super Bowl. Luckily, I get to be at this historic franchise, and we're going to have fun. I mean, yeah, it's it's a shame that he's out again because when you're placed on season-ending IR at this point in the offseason, you are out for the year. You cannot return. So I guess it'll be 2022 will be his first shot at that, which could be a, a big doubt because I don't think Aaron Rodgers will be there past this year. Well, and also Devin Funches, he's a guy that's not under contract going into next year. But you look at this wide receiver room. You had Devontae Adams, who was a lock. You had... By all accounts, you have Valdez Scantling as a lock. I know a lot of people were saying Alan Lazard was a lock. And even Randall Cobb. Even some were saying Randall Cobb because of the relationship with Aaron Rodgers. Oh, there's no Obviously, way. Don't say there's no way. There is no way. Don't say there's no way they couldn't have cut Randall Cobb. No, I will say it. There's no way they cut Randall Cobb if they want Aaron Rodgers to play. It, well, because we, Rodgers comes back, that was that seemed like one of the reasons. He was like, yeah, they could listen to me a little bit. I want Cobb back. They trade for him. They bring him back. And then they go cut him. That's the biggest slap in the face to Rodgers they could ever do, which would then, there would be no chance Rodgers comes back after this year, let alone, I, he, I think he'll play anyway. But still, like you want to make that relationship good. Why would you cut Randall Cobb? Hear me out here. We already talked about how they they traded Kadar Holman and they basically swapped Kadar Holman, who probably wasn't going to make the team for Randall Cobb, and they basically got back pretty equitable draft picks. If they were potentially going to cut Kadar Holman, we do know that there has a lot of there has been a lot of history in the past where Aaron Rodgers comes to the podium and says, "I like Jake Kumro. He's cut the next day." Yeah, but Jake Kumro like isn't so Randall cut Cobb. Two days later. I like Randall Cobb. Let's bring him in. Goody says, I'm going to appease you for about a month and then screw it. I'm going to cut him. 
I think you're way off. There, like, if there's any, I can't rule it out. He's done it before. I I, I can rule it out because, the, like, I assume one of the reasons Rogers came back is because Goody said, "You know what? We will listen to you." Because if Goody had just said, "No, no way, we're gonna do it how we do it," then does Rogers come back? I don't know because something had to have happened leading up to training camp to to lead him to coming back to Green Bay. You don't think that. Uh... In, in in the heart of hearts and deep down into that Brian Gutekunst's heart, if he knew that he's going to go with Jordan Love next year and and they were just trying to do anything they could because they knew Jordan Love wouldn't be ready, that he wouldn't come out and and have the ultimate "I'm the boss" move by saying, if if he want if he really wanted to do it, cutting Randall Cobb and saying, "Well, you are a quarterback. Here we go. I got you, Amari Rogers," because that's the other guy that is also a lock. Because you, you figured that there were, especially with, I think Randall Cobb, I don't think he would, but I wouldn't 100% rule it out that he wouldn't because we've seen him do it to those type of players that Rodgers loved in the past. And the fact that he basically got value back for the draft pick he gave up to get Cobb, you really wouldn't lose anything by cutting him. But I do I do think they keep him. I mean, this situation is so different. The situation's so different from Kumaro and guys in the past. I'll say this. If, if Goody cuts Randall Cobb, I'll call for him to get fired tomorrow. You would you would call for a GM to get cut tomorrow because they cut Randall Cobb, a guy that's 31 years old and and was the guy that originally didn't want Randall Cobb when he was younger. It would tell me that that he's not committed to winning because he doesn't think Aaron Rodgers is valuable to the team. What what if he thought that Malik Taylor was uh, more valuable to the team than Randall Cobb? You keep Randall Cobb anyway. Aaron Rodgers' happiness is more important than a difference you might see in Malik Taylor and Randall Cobb. Not to mention, Rodgers was on Pat McAfee yesterday, and I'll find the quote, but he's like, yeah, you have like wow moments every preseason or or every practice, excuse me, where you're like, wow, he's he's finishing my sentences. He's in the right place every time. It's great to have him back. If, if Goody goes and cuts him, Goody should be gone. So you were definitely on Team Rodgers then going back. What, no, six months ago? No, I, I, I was kind of squarely in the middle. I understood where both sides came from. And then after Roger's first press conference, I came on these airwaves and said, I understand listening to him. He deserves a big voice, but you should not allow him to have control over, like complete control. However, that said, like, like I don't think Rodgers should have the power to say. Well, do I, you think that Goody could, should sit down with LaFleur and Rodgers and say, hey, who do you want me to keep for the, we're going to go with, say, he'll throw out a number like, we're going to kick six, uh, keep six receivers. Who should we keep? No, but I think if he's thinking about cutting Cobb, I think now, and he should, he's going to go to Rodgers and say, hey, we're thinking about doing this, and Rodgers will say no. I have always been on the side of the Packers should do whatever they can to keep Rodgers happy and bring him back, but not sacrificing having actual football people run the operation let's go to the phones line one you're on over the line who do we got z and the d my man what's going on all right so what um yeah the goody he's not releasing Randall cup um touch up on brandon funches he actually could play again this season if the Packers and him reach an injury settlement, it allows him to sign with any other team outside the Packers. Okay, I meant he's not playing for the Packers this year. Okay, yeah, he could still sign on with another team. Uh, you can see it. Um, if I was him, I would try to do that the fastest as possible, try to grab onto the team before after preseason because there's obviously quite a few teams that could probably still need a receiver like the Houston Texans or there's probably a, quite a few of them. 
Yeah, um, we also don't know how severe the injury is because it also could be a situation where he is out for most of the year. As I said, we we would probably hear more down the road. Um, I'd probably because if I'm him, I would not. I would try to get on the field this year because if you sit out three years, you know he's probably gonna be what twenty eight, twenty nine. Receivers are a dime a dozen. There's what we've seen in the last two years, probably what fifteen taken in uh in each year in the past first three rounds so that'd probably be ideal for him um but yeah you don't cut randall cobb i'm obviously i'm thinking st brown is on his way out i just he hasn't shown enough lee taylor is that special teams player that you can have he's stayed obviously a little bit more healthier and then st brown so that's the way i'm rolling but yeah you can't cut cobb is i mean even though you gave up very little for him you just can't do it yeah, I'm with you. Once you go down on that wide receiver depth chart, you need guys to play special teams because uh, Malik Taylor and St. Brown likely aren't going to get many reps at wide receiver with that talent at the top, so you need them to contribute otherwise. Life is back on, sports bettors, and BetUS has your NBA, NHL, NBA, UFC, PGA, and yes, NFL betting lines up for their 27th year and live betting on all of it. Log in to BETUS.com or call 800-792-3887. That's 800-79-BETUS. BETUS for 125% bonuses with the promo code THEZONE125. You bet, you win, you get paid. BETUS.com. Rob, how are we doing this morning? We kind of wouldn't last for a long, though, without commercials and sponsors, right, Nelly? I don't know. I feel like we could give it a hell of a run. <laughs> I, I I do agree with you, you know, and, and there might there might only be like nine questions asked or something in that four hour segment. You and I you and I both can uh you know, carry a sentence sometimes longer than it needs to be carried. <laughs> and Rob, I'm I'm hoping to see you for the Badgers game against uh the Penn State on Saturday if you're gonna make the, the trek to Madison. Oh, well, well, when I am there, I will certainly hunt you and Evo down. There, there's no question about that. If, if you're not in the, if, if you're, if you're not inside of Camp Randall, the only place to be is with, 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 with you and Evo. So a hundred percent. And it's going to be super fun looking forward to it. But Rob, other things that we're looking forward to is the regular season. Now the green Bay Packers have played two preseason games so far, obviously two losses to the Houston Texans and the New York jets. They do have the Buffalo bills on deck this weekend. What are kind of your just basic takeaways from the first two preseason games? Because obviously they've lost, but I think overall you're seeing some young players that have given the opportunity to play have kind of flashed a little bit and maybe uh, made a name for themselves and maybe make this roster. Yeah, or are certainly tradable commodities now at that you know kind of at this point in time, Nelly. You know, Kurt Benker jumps out as a guy. He obviously was really good in the first half last week. Um, you know, against the Jets, if if they don't want to keep three quarterbacks on the roster, which they very well may not want to do, Nelly, I you know, I you know, take Atlanta for example, right now, right where where he has a history, Bankert that is, and you know they they have no backup quarterback at this point in time. Is he a tradable commodity to the Falcons for a six for a seven? I would jump all over that if I could get a pick for a guy like Kurt Bankert. You know, before he got hurt, Nelly, I thought Jordan Love was was really, really good in in that preseason opener against Houston. You think that night, you think back to it, Nelly. You know, he played without his four best wide receivers. Um, he played without his top three offensive linemen. He played without Aaron Jones. 
And then, he, you know, he only had A.J. Dillon for a series. And his passer rating was 110. Um, I thought he was poised through that whole night and, and really composed. Um, I'm excited to see him again come, uh, come Saturday afternoon when these guys travel to Buffalo. Uh, there's a couple of young offensive linemen that uh, very well, Nelly, are going to be in the starting lineup September 12th when, when, when they go to New Orleans. I mean, they, you know, it, 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 the, the guard play is, is, is obviously wide open at this point in time. You know, they, they, they took Josh Myers as an immediate starter, obviously, when, when they used the second-round pick on him back in, back in April. But to, to me, Nelly, one of the surprises of camp has been Royce Newman and the fact he's in this guard hunt. You know, I, I honestly thought Lucas Patrick was pretty good last year. Um, you know, a C-plus, a B-minus level type of a player, but, but they seem hell-bent on replacing him. You know, whether that's going to be with, with a Newman, with a Runyon, with a Braden, with, with somebody. Um, and, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll find out where, where that thing ends up. But, but they've had some impressive performances, certainly in the second preseason game more than the first, Nelly, from, from some of the young uh, offensive linemen. And then, you know, they've got some real battles going on in that secondary right now. They, you know, they, they traded a couple guys. Um, you know, earlier in the week with, with Jackson and Holman getting moved, and, and that's going to clear some things up and probably give a job maybe to a guy like, you know, KB on Ento and, and Gene Charles, you know, the, 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 the mid-round draft pick from, from, this, from, this year's, uh, from this year's draft. But, you know, Nelly, they've, they've, they've still got some battles going on. You know, keep in mind, they, they, you know, they, they traded away. When they traded Jackson, they got back to the item from the Jets, and, um, his special teams play is, has, has always been kind of his staple, and 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 we all know special teams have been dismal, just just abysmal in Green Bay since you know dating back to 2005. So you know that there's going to be some cornerback jobs on the line. Uh, Nelly come come Saturday. I, I I think the backup safety jobs are are, are still definitely uh, you know on the line. They've got some real questions, I would say, say still, Nelly, an outside linebacker after the big three and, and maybe only the big two if, you know, depending on what's going on here with Zedarius Smith's back as we get closer and closer to the opener. So, um, you know, Nelly, people shouldn't worry or put any stock in the fact this group is 0-2. I think they've had some decent performances from some young guys, and, and this Bills game come Saturday afternoon is going to be, you know, really critical to, to lining up the last four, five, six spots on that roster. Rob, Ben Kenny here in for Ebo this week. So we know some guys are locked in at the top of the wide receiver depth chart, and then we see Devin Funches go on season-ending IR. How do you see the lineup shaking out, and who do you see making that roster? And, and if there are guys on the fringe, are there any that need to show out on Saturday to earn a spot? You know, I'm probably in the minority here, guys, but but I, you know, I I, I would say six right now are locks, and and I I include Malik Taylor in that group, who who was obviously on the team last year, had an outstanding second preseason game, as as you guys know, and is one of their top three or four special teams players. I mean, I I keep going back to special teams here, guys, as I talk, but I mean. This, this is an organization that over the last 16 years, guys, has been either last or second to last in special teams performances eight of those 16 years. Um, you know, half of the time, they're either 31st or 32nd. And, and, guys, I think they've only had one finish in the top half of football in special teams over the last 16 years. I mean, that, that's how dreadful it's been. So when they get some of these bubble guys, 
that are really good special teams guys that, that they've got to play the special teamers. I mean, I, I know it's seven years ago, but, but nobody's ever going to forget special teams in that 2014 NFC Championship game loss, you know, to Seattle, how, just how dreadful they were in, in 19 when they were legendarily bad. Um, you know, last year they were still really bad again. Um, so, I mean, Ben, to your question, I mean, obviously guys like Adams and, and, and MBS and the rookie Amari Rogers and Lazard and Cobb are going to be locked. Um, you know, and then, but I would throw Malik Taylor in there. The question to me, Ben, is do they keep seven or not? And I, and I don't think they do. I, I think they'll sneak one or two onto the practice squad. You know, I, a young guy like Jawan Winfrey possibly goes there. You know, Begleton could go there. I think, I think St. Brown is probably done. Um, and, 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 and they sent him kind of on his way when they, when they cut this thing down to 53 by Tuesday afternoon. Um, you know, there's a lot of talk and speculation, Ben, that, you know, seven, eight, nine of these guys, you know, could be on roster somewhere else. I, I don't think they're that good, and I don't think they're that deep. But it's, it's a solid group overall, and, and by them getting rid of Funches yesterday, it, it, to me at least, it kind of cleared up some answers with where they're going here with this group. Rob, you mentioned how bad the special team play has been for basically the last decade, and I think that's why it only made sense for the Packers to go in-house and make another hire for a special teams coach. <laughs> Isn't that remarkable? I don't get you know, it. And, and, it's like... And they, and they did, they've done that here a couple of times through this unbelievably dismal, you know, 15, 16-year stretch of, of special teams performances. Now... Again, we're we're gonna wait and reserve judgment, right? Yeah, you gotta give the guy a shot, but I mean, on the surface, it doesn't look great. No, it it, it really doesn't. I mean, it. I mean, it, it's whatever. You, you, we we can draw up several analogies, right? It's, it's the baseball team like the Orioles on a 19 game losing streak that that promotes from within, right? And you know, it, it's it's the Lions, you know, who haven't you know won a playoff game since '93, right? Promoting the OC to head coach or something like that. No, it's it's comical, isn't it? And you know that the, the two guys really there, you know, Nelly. That I mean, Mason Crosby didn't miss a kick last year. I mean, he, that guy is the gold standard right now, or certainly one of them across the National Football League. He he's the least of their concerns. But J.K. Scott has has been a huge disappointment as a draft pick. You know, back to that 18 draft, he's 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 had three very subpar seasons. I I think. I think he's a guy, and, and so is Hunter Bradley, is the long snapper guys um, that really are on the bubble. Even though there's not another punter and there's not a long, another long snapper in camp right now, these are two guys that are clearly on the bubble to me. And if Gutekunst finds better people around the league, um, don't be surprised if either of those guys are, are moved. Now, the thing that I think Scott has going for him is he's Crosby's holder. And and they may not want to screw with that guy's leading into into the season just because Mason Crosby, I think he's only missed two field goals in the last two seasons. Again, he's he's in a stretch right now of the best kicking of his career, which is remarkable when you think that he came in our into the league and you know, as a seventh round pick in two thousand and seven. So this is what, year fifteen for Mason Crosby. I mean, he is he has just been absolutely gold here the last few years. Um, you know, but but the long snapper and the punter to me are in trouble. And and some of these guys are going to win roster spots, guys. Honestly, by by you know how they perform on on the coverage units, how 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 they you know how how they play in terms of clearing holes and in, in the return game. And and right now, guys, and you've seen this through the first two preseason games, 
it's been ugly. Um, you know, Houston averaged almost 20 yards per punt return that night uh, in in week one. Last week against against the Jets, they gave up the huge kick return. I mean, it's it's been bad, and uh, Mo Drayton's going to have to get that fixed. The only thing I would say is is give him three four games, guys, because several of the people you saw making the mistakes in the special teams games over the first two weeks here of the preseason will not be on the final 53-man roster. And that's one thing I wanted to ask you, Rob. So obviously they have to get down to 53 here really soon. Are there any names that you think will be surprising that make the team and or miss the cut? Well, you know, Jay Sternberger is a guy who I think was in real trouble. He's going to buy himself, and maybe he even won't, I mean, but he's going to buy himself at least two extra weeks, guys, you know, by by being, you know, on on the suspended list for, you know, which is where he's going to begin the year. Honestly, Nelly, you know, I, I think the biggest name you could see go by Tuesday afternoon is Lucas Patrick. Again, I a guy who I thought, you know, he – he, he he led the offensive line, or maybe he was second to Elton Jenkins last year, guys, in snaps among the offensive line. Um, you know, but but he was the 16th game starter at right guard, and and again, I I, I thought he played largely at a, at a high level through the course of the year. Again, he, he he's not a Pro Bowl guy, um, but but my feeling is the way the Packers look at him is he's already reached his ceiling. He's 28. He's kind of a grinder. Was at a rough path to to get to where he is in the NFL. And they've got younger guys, 22, 23 years old, like a Royce Newman or a John Runyon, who clearly have far more upside over the next three, four, five years than a guy like Patrick does. So maybe you get a draft pick for Patrick. Maybe he's part of a deal. Um, you know, Nelly, I, I think they're going to go ahead and add another outside linebacker to this group when it's all said and done. None of us know the exact severity of of what Zedarius Smith has going on with, with that back injury, but but I did find it really interesting last week, um, or maybe it was Sunday even, when you know the powers that be kind of let out word that there's certainly a chance he's going to miss the opener and maybe miss some games. You know, Jonathan Garvin's a guy, a seventh-round pick in, uh, in, what was that, 2020, who just hasn't done much since he's shown up, um, and, and, he's, and he hasn't been much of a help whatsoever, again, on special teams. He's a guy that, even though that position has very little depth, guys, and Garvin's a draft pick, he's probably in some trouble because I think Gutekunst might go outside the building to find himself another outside linebacker, maybe even two, based on where Zedarius Smith uh, stands at this point in time. But, no, you know, to, to your question, Nelly, I, I think nothing overly shocking. You know, if, if it winds up being a guard, a backup tight end, um, you know, a backup outside linebacker that gets whacked from, from a year ago, none of us are, you know, it's going to be overly shocked. It's not going to be huge headline kind of news. Not not back to like uh, 1986, guys, when when Lynn Dickey, the starting quarterback, and Paul Kaufman, the starting tight end, were whacked in Green Bay. Those are those days like that are long gone. Talking with Rob Reichel, Forbes.com, and the Green Bay Packers. Rob, before I let you go, I want to ask you, what are you looking forward to for this Buffalo Bills upcoming? final preseason game for the Packers anything you're looking forward to or going to look into yeah I mean clearly Jordan Love again right guys I mean it, it, it was unfortunate he got dinged in um you know what right before halftime of that of, of of the preseason opener because I I thought the kid was was playing really really well and and I and I think I think not just the Packer brass but I think to all of Packer Nation wants to see more of this guy um, because, again, in all likelihood, he is 
he is QB one when when we hit twenty twenty two and and I think they've clearly got some some questions inside the organization that they're going to want to get answered and you know I I don't expect them Nelly to to give him a whole lot of help again uh, come Saturday when you know when 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 he's on the field um, it it could be very similar to week one and you know the the preseason opener where he's playing with you know guys that are going to be you know, on, on the street here by, by next Wednesday. And, um, you know, he, he's kind of the first and foremost to, to me that, that, that I would look at it. And then, Nelly, honestly, a, a lot of, like, what we outlined here, that, you know, there are, there are four, five, six jobs on the line at the bottom of this roster. I mean, and even starting jobs, too. You know, start with that offensive line. They've got to get that guard situation you know, figured out. They've they've got three, four safeties fighting for for two jobs. I mean, a guy like Christian Uphoff at safety guys has been unbelievably good in special teams. Can that win him a roster spot? Um, you know, he's battling obviously against guys like Black and Scott and and Ennis Gaines and and people like that. And 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 they've got to, you know, those those guys. Uh, and I think that a race like that, Nelly, is so close that the Bills game could wind up deciding that. I mean, the Bills game's probably going to decide, you know, maybe the last cornerback on the roster, like we talked about, the outside linebacker position. I, I think defensive line is pretty much set, guys. I think wide receiver is pretty much set. The running back room is set. Uh, the quarterback room is set. Um, you know, but again, there's four or five spots on the line, and, and I think that's what people should be looking for uh, come Saturday afternoon when, when these guys go to Buffalo, guys, is, is you know, um, backup cornerback, safety, outside linebacker, and, and keep your eye on, on really the quarterback job. And, and, guys, I mean, if Banker shines again, don't be shocked if Goody turns around and gets a five, a six, a seven for him you know, early next week with a team that's desperate for a second or a third quarterback. Rob, always a pleasure. I look forward to seeing you at a Badger tailgate at the Red Zone sometime this year. And real quick, Craig Council Manager of the Year? Boy, it's trending that way. No, I mean, come on. Who who thought the Giants would be 40 games over 500, right? I mean, Council will get votes, and, and, and good for him. But um, the, the, the Giants, to me, are the story right now and and i know the dodgers are charging hard right now but uh you know let, let's see how september plays out nelly but uh you know kudos to craig right now for having them what about plus 30 i think is is where they are maybe plus 29 after after last night's win win over the reds it's a I, I don't know if any of us quite saw this, this kind of year coming for the Brewers. And October's going to be a blast. Robbie, I can't wait for it. We'll talk to you again next week. And uh, I'm looking forward to the Packers regular season finally playing. You and me both, buddy. All right. Thanks, guys. Yep. Thanks, Rob. There he is, Rob Reichel, our guy from Forbes.com on the Green Bay Packers. Now, Ben, we've kind of talked about this topic off and on all week, but thankfully, I mean, we've had a ton of topics like the Packers making cuts. We've had the Bucks signing uh, Coach Bud do an extension. We've had Badger football talk. Obviously, a lot of Brewers since they've playing and they're winning. We never actually got to this topic that we talked about on Sunday night, but I wanted to talk about it because I thought it was a one. It was a really good uh, segment. I really enjoyed it, and I think uh, two. It's it's kind of interesting because it's it's a lot of professional players from a lot of different sports. So what we're talking about is Sunday Sunday afternoon on that Milwaukee Brewers broadcast. They had 2000s weekend, and Ben Sheets was there, and Jeff Jenkins was there, and those were 
two of the bigger Jeff Jenkins was the biggest hitter for the Brewers in that decade. And obviously Ben Sheets was the biggest name pitcher for the Brewers in that decade. You know me. I love me some Jeff Jenkins, which I will never really understand outside of the one play, but I'm, I'm glad you're a fan of Jeff Jenkins because Jeff Jenkins was my first ever favorite Milwaukee Brewer. Well, he hit a double that turned into the game winning run of the world series. So it's understandable. And that's the only world series that you've witnessed. I mean, we're still waiting yeah. as in Milwaukee Brewer fans have never had a world series. We're reminded of that constantly from Cubs fans that toot about 2016. But Ben, if you would have heard them prior to 2016, all they did was cry about 1908. Ah, when, when all of them were alive, I'm sure. Yeah. And then of, of course, not even their grandparents were most of them. But anyways, going back to Ben Sheets and Jeff Jenkins, I thought it was extremely cool that they had those guys on. They had them in the booth and they were talking to him. And I thought it was really, really interesting when they had Ben Sheets on because Ben Sheets is the Brewers uh, franchise record holder for most strikeouts in a game where he had uh, 18 Ks against the Atlanta Braves. And on the flip side, they were they were talking about how you know, how today's game is so different. And he was a big analytics guy. He was really into stats when he played. And he was kind of talking about how he has been following Corbin Burns because Corbin Burns was the guy that uh, was was chasing his record in that game where Corbin Burns was actually pulled out after eight innings and he finished with 15 strikeouts. And I thought it was pretty funny because Ben Sheets' kid must have been watching the game with them. And he goes... Dad, I just want to remind you that uh, you had 15 strikeouts as well heading into the ninth inning. And Ben Sheets was like joking how he told his kid to shut up. You weren't supposed to remind him about stuff like that. But he was like very positive about Corbin Burns, Brandon Woodruff. It's and hard Freddy not Peralta. to be. It's, it's, it's really hard not to be. Like he was talking about how good these guys actually were. And then he was comparing them to back then him and some of the other pitchers and we're only talking about 15 years ago but he goes these guys overall are so much better but if we had the same analytics and statistics that were used uh you know organizational wide franchise wide or if we had some of these strength programs and nutrition programs man i would have loved to have seen what we could have done and i'm i 100% agree with them like sports continue to evolve cuz i i hate the person that says, oh, Babe Ruth couldn't even play on, on Major League Baseball in today's day and age. Babe Ruth was the best player in his day. He didn't have access to the weight rooms, to the nutrition. Now, granted, would he have been the exact same player? Probably not. But for that time, in the situation he was playing in, he was by far the best player. His his training was beer, cigars, and whatever their version of performance-enhancing drugs were. Yeah, and I mean... Which is why Barry Bond should be in the Hall of Fame, but that's a different argument. And this is why you have to base like the Hall of Fame and best players of all time in the generation and the era they played in. Correct. Like obviously it's pretty hard to compare Barry Bonds and Babe Ruth. Correct. Two completely different players. But I also agree with Ben Sheets because we all remember Ben Sheets' nasty curveball. Mm-hmm. That if he was given some of these analytics and spin rates, how much nastier could that curveball have been? Because he was a starting pitcher that you look in today's Major League Baseball, it's hard to become a starting pitcher if you only have two pitches. Ben Sheets pretty much only had two pitches. I would argue it's practically impossible because once you hit that second and third time through the lineup, these hitters will rock you if you don't have three and or four pitches. And look at look at Freddie Peralta as an example. Freddie Peralta, when he first came up, he was known as Fastball Freddie. 
And he threw his fastball, I kid you not, Ben, 75% of the time. Wow. And in that first, uh, what, five-ish months that he was up with the big league team off and on, he threw the ball really well. And then all of a sudden they got a book on him. You know, he he hit the ball really well. He had a low to mid-90s fastball. But he didn't have a ton to go with it. He had the occasional curveball that he could flip up there for a strike, the occasional decent, okay changeup that he could throw for a strike. But he really just had the plus fastball because he could hide it. All of a sudden, the guy develops a slider, and, and he improves his changeup, and now he's got the decent curveball, the the good fastball, the really good slider, and then a, another solid changeup. He has four pitches. Look how good he's been. He was He's a shell of what he is now back in the day when he only had really one pitch, and that was a fastball. But Ben Sheets, to do it with just a curveball, big, huge, looping 12-6 curveball, and that good fastball... I thought there was one thing from Ben Sheets that was so interesting when they had him on there. He was talking about his curveball because that's everyone knows Ben Sheets is about his curveball. He was talking about how he held it, and he said he grabbed it horseshoe back, like facing him, and he'd always have you know the two fingers on with the horseshoe back. And all of a sudden, he had been a great pitcher, you know, in the early two thousands. I believe he said it was like two thousand and five. It was a colder spring training, and he couldn't get the feel for his curveball, and he ended up throwing one. It was a hanger, and it hit one of the Mariners catchers at the time in the head, and he said he lost the grip and feel on his curveball, could never get the grip back. He instantly went from horseshoe back to horseshoe forward and adjusted how he held the ball, and he goes, my curveball, I kid you not, didn't miss a beat. That's wild to me to to have that good of a curveball completely adjust the grip while you are competitively pitching in spring training and not lose a beat. I mean that that's insane. We've seen guys lose pitches and they can't even pitch again. We're talking about a guy that had two pitches, lost it, found it instantly and never missed a beat. Yeah, yeah, it's it's wildly impressive. And I mean now you see so much with I mean Trevor Bauer who's going through his own stuff has been at the forefront of adding pitches and gripping everything weirdly and trying everything. Now pitchers are starting to do it because there's this big book on how to throw all these pitches different ways. Back then it really wasn't out there. Do you, do you follow like the pitching ninja? on Yes. Oh, big time. Obviously you always see like when they have Devin Williams come in the game, it's like the airbender or they'll put on like, uh, you know, insert another pitcher here, like a Jacob deGrom. Here's his nasty running fastball. Do you always see Marcus Stroman always is commenting on it or he's always like, hey, I got to talk to that dude about how he's throwing that? I think that's the coolest thing about social media is that you have these guys like the pitching ninja that are taking some of these sweet pitches like Corbin Burns was on it not too long ago with that two seam fastball that he ran up there at 100 miles an hour and caught the inside corner. It's incredible. But another Another fan favorite was Jeff Jenkins, and he was on there talking about how these players on the field for Milwaukee, they are making it cool to be a Milwaukee Brewer. Now, he wasn't saying that it wasn't cool to be a Brewer when he was a Brewer, even though those teams weren't very good. He was saying the the fans still came out and supported, but now with some of these guys and social media, you're seeing people across the country starting to become Corbin Burns fans or... Christian Yelich fans or or being all over saying 
hey, how about them Brewers and getting notable press? And they're, they're making it cool to be a Milwaukee Brewer. Well, I would argue that started with Yelich when he was traded for and was playing like an MVP. I, I mean, he pretty much carried some of those teams through the postseason. The pitching staff was average. And then you get these absolute studs all around the rotation. And top to bottom, one, the team's obviously likable and they have their stars in Yelich and Adamas. But yeah, overall, I mean, when you're winning... It's very easy to get behind a team, but it, it's also when you're winning and you have dudes, you, you have a dude with long hair that's absolutely two guys that are just untouchable. It's it's easy to get behind, and it is cool. The only thing I say to all that is, uh, you, you remember the whole NBA Finals first take saga when Marcus yeah, Spears terrible city. said this? You really want to be in Mil- Milwaukee? The answer is yes. A lot, of, and that's the thing. A lot of these guys, when they come back, Jeff Jenkins was around Milwaukee for like a decade. He was arguably their best player for like a decade. He was only a one-time All Star. He's a guy that maybe should have got a little bit more run as an All Star. But the Brewers were not a good team, and there wasn't a rule where every single team had to have an All Star back then. And now you have guys like we talked about in the past. CC Sabathia in that run. He was a guy that loved Milwaukee. He said he wished he could have signed with Milwaukee, but realistically, the Players Association never would have allowed it to happen with the money that the Yankees were paying him. Oh, yeah. And, and we knew as Brewer fans that that was a special summer because the Brewers made it back to the playoffs for like the first time in 20 years. You know, we hadn't seen anything like that. He was a guy that was grabbing the ball every three days. We're talking about some of these guys that are really good now where we're on a six man rotation. We're talking about. By the time these guys pitch once, that summer, CC Sabathia was throwing two different games and he'd throw the complete game. Yeah, and you just can't walk Brett Myers. And, and But the city loved him. And, yes. And if you are a cult hero or you are a great player, the city of Milwaukee will take you in. And I think nothing speaks more to that from the CC Sabathias over a decade ago to the Bobby Portises just this summer where they're chanting Bobby, Bobby, Bobby. And he was on and he actually had some comments about the city of Milwaukee, Bobby Portis, that is. Right. But before I I start this, I was listening to one of the Jeff Jenkins interviews with uh, Dario Melendez and the guys who do the post game and pregame show for Bally Sports. And he was saying, yeah, I, I went out, I believe he threw the first pitch with Portis for one of the games. And he was like, yeah, the stadium was chanting Bobby. And it it was kind of crazy because that's like not, we we don't really see where we didn't see that back in my day. And now you have this collection of of heroes in the city. But here's what Bobby Portis had to say on Sirius XM NBA radio. I mean, obviously as an NBA player, uh, you want to make as much money as you can while you can play this game. Um, You know, you can't play the game forever, obviously. And uh, with me, I'm 26 years old now. Um, I want to play another decade, at least until I'm about 36, 37, 35 years age, one of those um, ages. So um, with me personally, man, um, you know, I've been moving around the league a lot, man. Uh, it's my fourth team now. Um, you know, with moving around the league, it's a lot that comes with that. You know, you have to, you know, get used to a new system, you know, know your teammate, you know, remember a ton of new names of different coaches and front office guys and all those things, man. So um, I think I finally found the place where I can be myself at. Um, I found happiness here. I found peace here. And uh, we have a love connection in Milwaukee. Me and the fan base does as well. So um, given all those things, man, uh, it was kind of hard to, you know, leave that atmosphere, leave that environment. Uh, because, you know, as an NBA player, it's hard to find happiness. It's hard to find peace in a place where 
you know, you're comfortable at and that you can really thrive in. So um, I think I finally found that now, and I just wanted to keep rocking well with that. Um, with the contract situation, um, I just think that, you know, if I just stay down and believe in God and just, you know, keep working as hard as I can, that, you know, um, I'll get rewarded, you know, later on. Man, I'm cool with waiting a little longer for some I deserve, man. I think that's awesome. A guy that loves the city, knows the city, embraces him, and he feels comfortable here. He took a sweetheart deal. He t- he took a very team-friendly deal where he could have got a lot of money on the open market to stay here where he is comfortable and he loves it. You really want to be in Mil- Milwaukee? The answer is yeah. And guess what? Stephen A. was there the whole time and he said great things. I, I-, I love going back to that clip because, I mean, one, it was very unnecessary. Two, it was flat-out dumb. Well, Ben, you come from a, a lot different of a of a city than I do. I come from a, a smaller town in Wisconsin. You come from Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. It's huge compared to even Madison. Now, when I think of Milwaukee, I think of a huge city because it's the biggest city in Wisconsin. You coming from Philadelphia, you probably think of Milwaukee as a tiny market. And I know that there. I had some friends that went to school in Milwaukee and they say that Milwaukee actually feels a lot smaller than it is. And I get that, and it, it, I bet it feels like that for these players, too, because they probably think they're going to some crap hole. They don't want to be there. It's cold, whatever. But then they get there, and they're embraced. They love it. They realize that it does have a smaller town feel for the size of the city. And some of them don't want to leave, and I, I think it's really cool. Yeah, and, I mean, the biggest factor behind all of that is once you get star power there, everything changes. The, the whole mantra around your teams and your city changes. The Yelich and Giannis duo have been two of the biggest guys to really put Milwaukee and the sports on the map. There's hey, obviously Rodgers, but that's up north say, and it's different. Don't forget about Rodgers. You might get upset. Well, it's no, it's a, it's a different setting because that's Green Bay. We're, like, we're talking about a different, different setting of, of sports. Changing it up a little bit to the Brewers-Reds. Let's look at... Uh, the final game of the series, 110 first pitch. You can obviously hear it, hear it here on the zone. That's 96.7 FM, 1670 AM, the zone, W-O-Z-N. We will have coverage, I believe, that starts at 12.35 p.m. Ben, what are you looking for in this? Because the matchup is Sonny Gray on the mound for the Cincinnati Reds, and it's Brett Anderson on the mound for the Milwaukee Brewers. Game three, Brewers looking to go for the sweep. How are we feeling? I feel good, especially just given how well they've been playing and how many ways they can find to win. Game one, we see a comeback late in the late in late innings. Game two, pitchers duel where the Brewers just absolutely shut it, like pretty much shut out the Reds minus that last inning. But they, in essence, just shut them completely down. I think this is the game where their offense really comes to life early. Because yes, Sonny Gray has had some success against them. But this is a hot lineup. Yelich is running hot. And Sonny Gray isn't someone that I see giving Yelich a lot of trouble with how he's playing right now. We finally see him on more pitches. He, he's been taking walks all season, but we're seeing him on more pitches uh, just mechanics-wise and in terms of the right approach and the right guesses. So I see a big day from the Brewers offense, especially early against Sonny Gray. And then we've talked about in the last couple of days how well Brett Anderson has pitched against the Reds or how much they struggle against lefties. Yeah, and that was one thing. If you remember going back to game one on Tuesday, after game one, 
they we kind of mentioned how they used up a lot of those good bullpen bullpen arms right away, and they a good thing for the Brewers because both of us thought going into it. We thought the Brewers would take two out of three. We thought they would win on Tuesday and they would win on Thursday. And Wednesday was going to be the tough game just because we know that Brandon Woodruff never really ever finds run support. But I, if you remember, I told you after Tuesday's game when they blew through their bullpen arms, I go, if Brandon Woodruff gives them a good start, I still think he outduels uh, Luis Castillo, which he did. And they didn't really have anyone to to come in in that bullpen late. They did throw Amir Garrett out. You have to imagine that he's gone for this game. He's not available. I like the Brewers to sweep. I think uh, they get it done, and the reason being, you look at what Sonny Gray has done. Yeah, he's had some success against the Brewers, but none this year. He's got an ERA over five against the Milwaukee Brewers this year. Then on the flip side, Brett Anderson, his average start in three starts against the Reds this year is going five innings, giving up two runs. Yeah. We mentioned how the Reds are in the bottom third in the league when it comes to hitting an OPS against left-handed pitchers. And then you look at the flip side of that is against righties. They're the best team in the league. Yes. Well, I think if Brett Anderson could give Craig council five innings and two runs or less, and the Brewers continue to take care of business like they have against Sonny Gray this year, I think it's uh, in line for a sweep, especially because in those first two days, you use Boxberger twice, Williams twice, but Hayter had, did not have to enter the game yesterday. I think that also bodes well for the Brewers in this game, having Hayter on deck. And you look at some of those players that have stacked success against Sonny Gray in their career. Luis Arias, he's batting 444 against them. Also has a home run. Lorenzo Kane, a guy that's been struggling lately, he looked pretty bad yesterday up to, at the plate. He's actually batting 391. He's 9 for 23 against Sonny Gray in his career. And you can go right down. Guys that have hit well against Sonny Gray in their careers, Willie Adamas is obviously on the shelf, but it's Urias, Kane, Jackie Bradley, Colton Wong. Do we see a Kane Bradley outfield today? Maybe give uh, Avisel Garcia the day off after a night game? Hmm. Yeah, I, I I could. I mean, you're saying we're going to the broom closet. I I think we are, I think we are. I, I I don't doubt it. I opened the show in my very early thoughts and saying this division race is over. Not very much of a bold take, but this could be the final blow. Even with the Padres losing and the Reds still having a shot at the playoffs, they needed to come into Milwaukee and win at least two out of three to even have a remote chance. This is over. So, Ben, I was kind of starting to know I was getting a little bit tired last night because I was sitting there watching the game, and it was when Brandon Woodruff threw that 3-1 changeup to um, Joey Votto where he knew he got fooled, and he looked so bad, and you could he just had that little funny look on his face, and then Brandon Woodruff ended up striking him out the next pitch. Coming back from 3-1, you fool Votto, and then you blow one right by him for a strikeout. I had this weird feeling come over me, and I'm not kidding you. When I saw that, and then he ended up getting out of that inning, and the Brewers obviously go on to win. But at that moment, I had thought to myself, this Milwaukee Brewers team is going to win the World Series. Whoa! I, like, I, Whoa. I, I literally had that feeling. I you go, say this- that at 944 in the morning? That that was the feeling I Brody, had what? watching watching at that moment when they had runners on and it was still a close ball game and he fooled Joey Votto that bad and then ended up striking him out. I literally I had this feeling come over me 
that I'm like, this team could win a World Series. They're going to win a World Series. They continue to find ways to win these games against good teams. They don't have a guy that steps up like a Christian Yelich in 18 and 19. Like, you think back to when I think we were all in, at least Brewer fans, in 18, saying that the Brewers were going to win that World Series. They were so hot. They had the best record in the NL. They won 96 games. They went down to Wrigley Field and won game 163. Christian Yelich was on a tear from like August through September. But he kind of got he got a little cold when it came to the postseason, and I'm not blaming Yelich. Like they they were still a good team. It's not like he played terrible, but he wasn't as hot as he was in that August and September leading up. I look at this team; they don't have a Christian Yelich MVP from that year. It's everybody else, whenever is called on, that is stepping up. It's not one guy that helped carry them for two months. It's been everybody. And if they continue to do that, plus we're seeing that Adamus isn't going to be down for super long. They're expecting Escobar to be back in a couple weeks. Freddie Peralta's throwing this week. He's expected back next week. They're being careful with a six-man rotation. Maybe even go to the bullpen a little early. I know Gustave is starting to throw again. He's a bullpen piece that hasn't pitched in two weeks. They're getting fresh arms. I think they get to the... uh, they get to the October healthy and they're going to have a nice lead. You just look around and you go, well, the East really nobody scares me in that NL East. The Braves I don't think have nearly the pitching and Ronald Acuna, that lineup isn't as scary. Yes, they're hot right now, but without Acuna it's not as scary and I don't think they have the pitching. And then no matter who it is, has to go through whoever wins the West and those teams will knock each other out and I'm going, this is NLCS, and I like our chances with this rotation and timely hitting. Yeah. This is going to be a World Series team. This is something crazy to save until the last segment of the show. I but just drank a lot of wine at night. Were you leashed out last night? I, I do not drink wine. I, I The only time I've ever drank wine was is two different times in my life, and it's at church, Ben, and it's at Tour de Franzia when I was in college. Huh. I, I mean, I, I'm not going to disagree with you. I'm not going to disagree with anything you just said. I'm but starting to I'm starting to get Brewers fever. I've, baby. I've taught myself to hold back a little bit. No, I I am the all time hold back, Mister. You know, stay even keel. But when I feel it, I feel it, and I'm feeling it. Rowdy feels it. All right. I mean, I came on the show and said that they won the division. You go in the World Series. No, the division. That's like that's that's no. Hey, they're up nine and a half games. You got to start off slow. It's 6.02 in the morning. That's like telling me that water is wet. I Well, it's actually debatable whether it is. That's another story.